Good evening. You turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at just a couple of verses tonight. We have a commissioning service afterwards. But this is also one of those helicopter passages where you want to just hover for a moment because of its significance to the rest of the Bible and to redemptive history. So if you're turning there, I want to again thank Adam and our orchestra. What, what do we call it on Sunday night? Is it the band on, on Sunday night? It's the band on Sunday night, orchestra in the morning. Okay. So is it a fiddle at night and a violin in the morning? All right. Okay. And Regen, you blessed us as you always do. Thank you for using your gifts uh, to, to serve us, to lead us in worship. So let's ask the Lord to bless us as we continue our time in worship. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that we know supremely in the Son of God. Lord, we have sung about him tonight because you have placed that new song in our hearts um, through his all-sufficient work and by the work of your Spirit. And now, Lord, even as we look at this passage in Genesis, may we see Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1991 movie, Grand Canyon, which is a movie that was about the racial tension in Los Angeles that was taking place at that time, uh, there is this particular scene that is quite poignant. It has this immigration lawyer who's played by Kevin Klein, and he's leaving the forum. He's been at a Lakers game. Uh, back then it was the forum and and he wants to take a shortcut home and he ends up in a crime-ridden neighborhood where his brand new Mercedes breaks down that wasn't good advertising scene for for Mercedes uh, but while he is sitting there waiting for the tow truck driver who is played by Danny Glover uh, some guys up to no good surround uh, his Mercedes, and he feels like he's in a lot of trouble. Well, about that time, the tow truck driver, Danny Glover, drives up. He gets out of his tow truck, and he walks up to those troublemakers, and he gives them a five-sentence introduction to ultimate things, or the way things are, you might say. Here's what he said. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And Glover's assessment, at least in this movie, has been true since Genesis chapter 3. That's what we see right after the first couple's sin. We've seen that this is God's world. He created it good, and he has the right to make the rules. But his rules, his laws are not arbitrary. All of them reflect something of his nature and his character. But Adam, our federal head, our representative, he rebels like we read tonight in Romans chapter 5. And since then, 
everything has been different than what it is supposed to be. Indeed, God created all things good, but now in Genesis 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 tonight, for the first time in the Bible, we read a particular word. That word is curse, curse. Indeed, in verse 14, we see the curse on the serpent. Look with me in verse 14. Now, this has come after Adam and Eve have played the blame game. And now the Lord sets his sights to the serpent. And he said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse it. There's the word, first time in the Bible. It should stand out to us like a neon sign. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now in Genesis 1... Uh, we saw three times that God blessed. God blessed the animals. God blessed his image bearers. And God blessed the seventh day. God blessed the Sabbath. Now in Genesis 3, we're going to read three times that God curses. God curses. That is, he turns the blessing into its opposite. That's what a curse is. It's the opposite of God's blessing. Now, we're not going to look at all these curses tonight because that would take us through the rest of the chapter. We're going to look at the first one. But just to give you a preview, the curses can be grouped into three headings. The first heading would be this, enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The second group, you might say, is difficulty for the woman in childbearing and in male-female relationships, including marriage, fundamentally marriage. And then third grouping, you might say, problems with the land. That's why tomorrow when you go to work, even if you enjoy your job, you're going to feel the pain of the thorns attached to your work. Now, I shouldn't say that because I have a staff meeting in the morning. I don't want my. <laughs> I was thinking about that as I said that. But this is the first occurrence of the word curse. And, and curse is going to become one of the major themes in Genesis and really the rest of the Bible. And so we never get away from this. It, it, its root appears, get this, 55 times in the Old Testament. It's found five times in Genesis 3 to 11. Now, why do I tell you that? Because when we get to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, we're going to see the word blessing five times. And, and most scholars believe that's intentional. It's God's way of saying that the curse that we see five times in Genesis 3 to 11 is going to be reversed through the offspring of Abraham. 
where we see the word blessing five times. Of course, we know ultimately that offspring is one, the one man, as Paul says in Galatians 3.16, the man Christ Jesus. Now, with regard to the, the reptile here, uh, this, this curse has a dual expression. I do believe the, that, that the devil came in the form of a, a serpent, uh, some kind of snake figure. Uh, I don't believe that all snakes are demonic, though uh, most people treat them as they are. Uh, but I do believe he personified some kind of reptile serpent figure. But we do need to make a, di a distinction between the reptile itself in verse 14 and then Satan in verse 15 who controlled the reptile. Now, the notion of curse, now this is important for us to understand, even understanding the gospel. The, the word curse is fundamentally the idea of exile from the place of blessing. And that will make sense of when like Israel is exiled from the land. Uh, they're under the curse of God. They are, they are in exile. They are exiled from the place of blessing. In this case, it's the garden. Now, in one sense, we're going to see this. All animate creation is going to be banished because of sin. But the serpent here was cursed above all. Notice, cursed are you above all livestock. Uh, his exile is going to be permanent. Uh, we know from, for instance, Isaiah 11 that, uh, that one day the, the lion will lay down with the lamb. And so there's going to be a reconciliation, uh, even in peace, shalom, brought even to the animal kingdom. That means you may see your dog again, your, your, your cat again, well, or your dog again. Uh, we don't know, but there will be animals in the new heavens and the new earth, all right? But the, the serpent here will be permanently under the curse. He says the curse is going to be seen in a physical way. On your belly you shall go eating dust. Now, apparently, and scholars, I tend to lean this way. Before the judgment, evidently this creature could stand erect. It's hard to say. But now on his belly he shall go. Now, eating dust um, represents in the Bible, again, we have to learn these, these metaphors uh, we need cultural competency to make sense of what the Bible is saying. And this is a metaphor. It represents humiliation in the Bible, eating dust. So, for instance, in Psalm 72, Solomon is writing Psalm 72. And he's speaking about a greater king than him who will come. A king from David's line, the son of David, who's greater than Solomon. As, as great as Solomon was, as wise as Solomon was, we know, uh, we've read the rest of the story. That he multiplied wives, he multiplied horses and gold. Um, so there's one greater than Solomon coming. And here's what he says. May his enemies lick the dust. Where's he getting that from? He's getting that from Genesis chapter 3. The enemies of the king are deemed the offspring of the serpent. May they lick the dust. Um, in Micah chapter 7, 
They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. It's referring to the enemies of God, and in particular, the enemies to the Davidic son. In fact, Isaiah 65 pictures that in the new creation, and he is speaking about that day of the new creation, all of creation will be delivered from the effects of the fall. Now, that's not saying that every person will be saved. Uh, there will be a whole host of people who have refused to bow the knee. But the creation itself and all believers will be delivered from the effects of the fall, except for the serpent. Here's what Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Like we saw in Genesis 1, the animals were originally vegetarian. And now again, they will be vegetarian. And dust shall be the serpent's food. It's quite remarkable. Speaking about new creation, and all of a sudden you see this negative prophecy. Dust shall be the serpent's food. There have been those actually in history who believed that not only will every human being be saved, the devil himself will be saved. Origen was one of the church fathers who believed that. Well, he hadn't read Isaiah 65. Uh, this serpent will be under judgment, under the curse for all eternity. Now, in verse 15, and this is the only other verse we're going to look at tonight, God's speech, his declaration moves beyond the snake, and he addresses Satan himself. You see that, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But note, this time we see the curse on the offspring of the woman. We saw in verse 14 the offspring of the serpent, but here we're going to see the curse on the offspring of the woman, but only for a time. But only for a time. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Now I've named this sermon the mother promise of the Bible. That's not original with me. There have been many, many writers and scholars and theologians who have deemed this the mother promise of the Bible. Genesis 3.15. It's the first, you might say, gospel. The first gospel promise in the Bible. Now, look with me at this word, enmity. Uh, enmity here appears as the first word in the original language. And so that tells us there's, a, there's an emphasis on enmity here. And, and that means, that term means that one party is an enemy to the other. That's simply what it means. It indicates a life-and-death struggle between enemies. Because of Adam's sin, a rupture has occurred between God's image bearers and God himself, which has led to enmity, estrangement, alienation between the woman, the man, and nature itself. 
And it began with our separation from the fountain of living waters. This is the new order of things. This is, to use a new term or relatively new term in today's colloquium, this is the new normal. Enmity, alienation, separation. It marks everything and everyone. No one is immune to it. All of us have experienced it. That's the natural state of things. That's how it is. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. That one word right there in verse 15 tells us why. But despite this new order of things, we see the promise of grace. We see the promise of grace. Actually, what we see here is justice meeting grace. Justice meeting grace. God will not compromise his justice to be gracious. He has to be who he is, holy and righteous and just. And this promise is the mother promise. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Now, this word, offspring, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Maybe your translation translates it seed. That's fine. That's a good translation. It could be, <laughs> amen. And he does not have the living Bible down there. <laughs> offspring, seed, either one is a good translation. It, it's the word Sarah in, in, in the original language. You, you would spell that in English, Z-E-R-A-H, Zerah, seed, offspring. That word occurs 170 times in the Old Testament. It's a very important word in the Old Testament, 59 times in the book of Genesis. So this, this word is going to take on, it's actually going to become one of the central themes of the Bible. One of the central, if not the central theme of the Bible. Now, the word offspring or the word seed is like the word sheep or the word fish. It can be singular or plural. And so you, if, you go, you know, if you go fishing uh, with Dr. Campbell and you, you come back with 20 fish, now he's from New Brockton, he may say fishes. But most of us say fish, right? So fish is, can be singular or plural. Sheep is the same way. But here... What's important to see in Genesis 3.15 is that we've got two singular pronouns. All right? So he, that's a singular. Not only is it singular, it's a man. It's a male figure. He shall bruise, notice, but you shall bruise his heel. So that tells us this isn't talking about a group of people that you could call the offspring or the seed. It's referring to an individual person, and not only an individual person, it's referring to a man who, incidentally, is going to have his heel bruised. In other words, he's going to suffer under this serpent, but he will, he will bruise, or maybe your translation reads, crush his head. He will crush his head, as we sang about tonight. Now, there's two other places in Genesis that, that kind of share this pattern. Let me go through this quickly. We're going to be done in a moment. 
Um, Genesis 24, 60. Listen to this. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring, see the word there? That's the same word, seed, possess the gate of those who hate him. Him. Singular. So offspring there cannot be plural. It's referring to a singular person. And this one person, he is going to defeat all the enemies of God. Genesis 22, listen to this, verse 17. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Now that has to be a group. That has to be many. And as the sand is on the seashore. And you're, know this, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. From there, offspring becomes singular. It's referring to one person. Verse 18, and in your offspring, again, offspring can be singular or plural, but notice, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. But the, but the use of offspring here has a singular pronoun. So again, there's benefit to the offspring plural, but it comes through the offspring who is singular, one person, one man. This one man is going to benefit many through his work of crushing the serpent's head. Interestingly, we, we read from Psalm 72 earlier. Listen to this, Psalm 72, 17. Again, this is the Psalm of Solomon where he's writing about the one that's greater than him who will come. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun, Psalm 72, 17. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. That's the same wording of Genesis twenty-two eighteen. All the nations be blessed. All of that, and it's applying it to the son of David. Psalm 72, 4. May he crush the oppressor. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May deserts, tribes bow down before him. Get this, and his enemies lick the dust. Genesis 3.15, right there, Genesis 3.14. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be his glorious name. Now what's interesting is that the Jews perceived this to be one person. And we know that because in 250 B.C., 250 years before Jesus came, a, a, a group of Jews, Jewish scholars, translated the Hebrew into Greek. It's called, you've heard this, the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so they took this Old Testament Hebrew and translated it into Greek. It's known as Septuagint today. If you ever see the, the letters LXX when you're reading Christian literature, you, you, that's, that represents the Septuagint. But here's how they translated this. They interpreted the word seed or offspring as a single individual. He will crush your head. In other words, this committee made up of Jews couldn't possibly have had a Christian agenda. For one thing, it was 250 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And yet they understood Genesis 3.15 referred to a male, an individual male, who would crush the serpent's head. Quite remarkable. And the reason I spend so much time on this tonight is because this is the mother promise 
the first gospel promise in your Bible. You can lead someone to Christ with Genesis 3.15, in other words. Now, let me just go through this quickly, and we'll be done, to see the emphasis that the Old Testament places on this promise. Let's just look at a few places. We're going to run through this quickly. Numbers 24, 17. Balaam prophesies that Moab's head will be crushed. His head will be crushed by one who will come uh, from Israel, who has the scepter in his hand. That's the language of Genesis 3.15. Moab was an enemy of God's people. Isaiah 27, in that day the Lord will slay Leviathan the serpent. Psalm 74, 14, you crush the heads of Leviathan. Leviathan, kind of a, the imagery of the serpent. Judges 4, 21, get this, Sisera, the military leader of Canaan, uh, who is an enemy of God, has his head crushed by jail with a tent peg. Just these themes, you see these patterns all the way through the Old Testament. Judges 9, 53. Abimelech, the son of Gideon, who again is an enemy of God, he's a power-hungry murderer, has his head crushed by a woman with a stone. And then uh, 1 Samuel 17, 49. Goliath, and the King James picks this up even clearer, he's dressed in scale-like armor. He's dressed like a serpent. His armor looks like the scales of a serpent, of a snake. And David, the anointed one from the tribe of Judah, takes a stone and a slingshot and he crushes the head of this giant who's dressed like a serpent. And... Through his victory over the serpent, Israel, by no merit of their own, is delivered from the hands of the Philistines. You think a pattern is developing through the Old Testament? For certain. Or how about the kings who foreshadowed what the Lord Jesus would would come? King Saul's first victory. Now, he was no godly king. But his first victory was to destroy, kill Nahash the Ammonite. Do you know what Nahash's name means? Serpent. Saul's first act as king was to defeat, to destroy the serpent. Our king Hezekiah, he crushes the bronze serpent of Moses to which Judah had been worshiping. They were worshiping that bronze serpent that Moses had erected. Remember that from Numbers 21. So all of these are pictures of the one who would come in Genesis 3.15. No mere men could have written the Bible. There is one central theme, and it was given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Interestingly, as we close here, Jesus' most intimate disciples, our disciple John, He writes in his epistle, 1 John, and he gives us the very reason why Jesus would come. Hear this, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared. It's almost someone asked him, John, what's the reason Jesus came? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You can't get any clearer than that. 
How, John? How will he destroy the works of the devil? I'm glad you asked. 1 John 3, 5. He appeared in order to take away our sins. So what is the relationship between he taking away our sin? And we know he took away our sins by propitiating the wrath of God and expiating our guilt like the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. What is the relationship between him taking our sins, taking them away, and crushing the serpent's head? Well, the throne of the devil's dominion is our guilt. You take away the guilt, you take away his throne. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ did that by taking the guilt in our place. Our sin was imputed to him. And when he was raised, the serpent's head was crushed in principle. And yet, the realization of that achievement is not yet universally recognized. And it's not yet universally applied. And so, the the serpent, though he has been defeated and he knows his time is short, Revelation 12, he is still seeking to devour He knows his time is short, but he has been defeated. And that's where our role comes in. One of the most important verses in the Bible on on the church is found in Romans 16, 20. I want to close with this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that remarkable? Who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. So I I can't imagine how having a better segue to praying over the missions or missions teams that are going out this summer than being reminded that though the serpent has been defeated in principle by the cross and the resurrection there is a progressive triumph that comes as God's people go to the nations proclaiming Jesus Christ is king Jesus Christ has triumphed over the serpent and when those who hear that message are delivered from their guilt, that triumph progressively extends to the ends of the earth. And that's what our role is as the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. And as we go in this time to recognize our missionaries who will be going on the ground, I just pray, Lord, that you would use them in a powerful way to progressively bring the serpent underneath the feet of the resurrected, triumphant seat of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.